Hear the word of God from the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, located on pages 806 and 807 in the Pew Bible. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, over these next three Sundays, the lectionary gospel readings for each week will be what we'll be following, which all come from Matthew 25, a series of three parables of Jesus. And so today we come to reflect on the first of those uh, that Chris has just read for us, the intriguing and perplexing parable of the ten bridesmaids. Will you bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer? And now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Waiting can be very hard. especially in this crazy, non-stop, 24-7 world that is ours. The World Wide Web never sleeps, offering immediate access to information about anything all the time. We call this progress, but I wonder about that. I mean, when Google turned 13 a few years ago, we suddenly had a teenager that really did know everything. <laughs> that can't be a good idea. The ease of email, texting, and instant messaging means that we expect a response to our communication pretty much straight away. While social media makes it possible for our thoughts, moods, videos, and pictures to be shared instantly with others anywhere in the world. 
By the way, did you hear about the plans for YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook to combine into one mega social media platform? It'll be called You Twit Face. <laughs> which, is, which is kind of apt if you think about what this insatiable need for instant connection and gratification is actually doing to us. As the British rock group Queen used to sing, I want it all and I want it now. Within this world, waiting can be very hard. And few of us, if we're honest, will admit, few of us are particularly good at it. Even the slightest delay can be the source of real frustration. I mean, do you ever find yourself sitting at a red traffic light and feeling like it's taking forever for the signal to change when it's actually been like, what, 30 seconds? Or what about at the grocery store when it comes to picking a checkout queue at one of the tills? At that moment, your entire world becomes focused on one singular goal. It's almost a zen-like thing. To find the quickest cue and get out of there as soon as possible. You know the routine, how you survey the different tills to work out which one will be quickest based upon what's in people's trolleys. Although you can't be too obvious about it because that could be awkward. And if you are caught staring, then you've got to pretend that you're actually looking at the batteries just next to the person's trolley and you end up buying a whole lot of batteries you don't need. All the while you're checking out the other two shoppers who are also ready to, to, to ring up and are going through the same routine trying to work out which queue they're going to choose. And so you make your choice and you join a queue. And what happens? The queue next to you starts moving faster. <laughs> now you're faced with a major dilemma. Do I stay or do I move? If you stay, the queue next to you will continue to move at an astonishing rate. Shoppers flying out the grocery store. But if you move, of this you can be assured, something is going to happen that will bring your new queue to a sudden and grinding halt. The supervisor will be called to clear some faulty transaction. The scanner will suddenly stop working. That little roll of till paper will have to be replaced. Or the little old lady in front of you, bless her heart, will pay for all her groceries with a combination of crunched up coupons and quarters and single dollar bills. I call it the law of supermarket queues, which states, 
that the ratio of the rate of progress of your queue to the average rate of progress of all the other queues is inversely proportional to the amount of time you have available divided by the number of items in your trolley, unless you change queues, in which case the ratio becomes directly proportional to your emotional pain threshold. But of course, you knew all of that already. <laughs> we can chuckle about the frustration of waiting in a supermarket queue. But in other far more significant and substantial ways, waiting really can be very hard. And many people are all too familiar with the struggle of it. Think about the young woman or man who has been waiting to meet that someone special, who's ready to get married and settle down, but it just hasn't happened yet. And so sometimes late at night, lying alone on the bed, staring up at the ceiling, the despairing thought goes through his or her head whether it's ever going to happen. Think about the couple who have been trying to fall pregnant for so very long. And with every month that goes by, the waiting seems to wound them afresh. Think about a parent who's waiting for a wayward child to return so that forgiveness and reconciliation can be shared. Or a loved one who's waiting for a medical condition to improve or someone in grief who is waiting for the pain of their loss to shift to something more bearable. Think about the man without work who's waiting for someone to give him a second chance, or a prisoner who's waiting for a parole board to extend some leniency, or an immigrant who's waiting for a stamped letter, or a marginalized community waiting for the basic services long promised by their local counselor. For each of these, that which is longed for and hoped for seems desperately delayed so that their waiting is fraught with anxiety and even despair. The Bible seems to be quite familiar with this kind of waiting how long, O oh Lord, is the cry that echoes again and again through the Psalms and other sections of Scripture? Consider the psalmist who shouts out in Psalm 13, How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Or the prophet Habakkuk, who begins his prophecy with the words, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? It's a robust question, full of anguish and pathos, that is directed unapologetically at God. I'm so glad that our biblical faith makes space for the outpouring of this kind of raw, full-throated questioning 
And if you're in a place of waiting right now that feels too long and too hard, I'm sure that you are glad too. Of course, the Bible also has many stories of waiting that's finally vindicated. Remember Hannah, who was barren for a long time, but then gave birth to a son, Samuel. Remember Simeon, who had waited all his life to see God's promised Messiah, and then in his old age, he saw the baby Jesus in the temple and so joyfully proclaimed, now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace according to your word, for my own eyes have seen your salvation. Remember the waiting father in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son, who saw his younger son returning while he was still a far way off and joyfully ran to greet him and then continued to wait for his older son to do likewise. Which brings us to another parable that Jesus told about waiting. It's our gospel reading for today, which is known as the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. 10 bridesmaids who found themselves waiting for a long, long time for a bridegroom to arrive. As I've been living with this text this week, I must confess that I've struggled to get a handle on it but it's mostly eluded me. A bit like the bridesmaids, I suppose, I've been waiting for the bridegroom, for the bridegroom to appear. I've been waiting for the moment of truth, of insight, of recognition to arrive for me as the preacher, for the cry to sound within me, look, here it is, that's what you can preach on. But just like in the parable, it seems, at least to me, that the bridegroom has been delayed. And now I'm preaching this sermon pretty much because I have to and I don't have any choice. <laughs> and I'm still not sure whether or not he has come. I'm still not sure whether my waiting with this parable this week has been in vain. I guess that makes me a bit like the five foolish bridesmaids who missed the arrival of the bridegroom. Except there's more to the story, and there's more to my story this week, because as I've waited and waited with this text, with all the anxiety of nothing forthcoming for me to grab hold of to be able to preach, so there's also been a growing conviction and recognition within me that that's okay. That I do not know and cannot control when the bridegroom will come. And I've made peace with that. And I think that that part of me has been a bit like the five wise bridesmaids who also fell asleep because the waiting was long and hard, and yet there was something they had 
the parable calls it flasks of oil that enabled them to recognize that the bridegroom may well be delayed. And in the end, that's the distinction between those two groups of bridesmaids, and that's the distinction between those two parts within each one of us that influence the way in which we embrace the hard work of waiting. The five wise bridesmaids anticipated that the bridegroom may well be delayed, and were open to that. The five foolish bridesmaids did not. In other words, in the long night of watching and waiting for the deep longings of our hearts, the capacity to recognize that God will come in a way and at a time that we cannot predict or control, that capacity will better enable us to recognize the grace of God drawing near when it comes. By contrast, that part of us that needs to be in control that tries to set the agenda, the time frame, the details of exactly when God should show up and how God should do so and exactly what all God should do. Well, according to the parable, that's foolishness. And the tragedy is that it can prevent us from experiencing the great feast of God's grace that surely, surely, surely is coming and indeed is already at hand. Some of you may remember the 1981 movie on Golden Pond. The movie centered on an aging couple, Norman and Ethel Thayer, played by Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn, who both won Academy Awards for their performances. This elderly couple, Norman and Ethel, spent every summer at their cottage at a lake called Golden Pond. Norman was a cranky, crotchety old curmudgeon preoccupied with the fear of dying, bitter and cynical as a result, as he waited for the inevitable to arrive. His hardened heart was painfully evident in the strained relationship with his daughter and only child, whom he treated with rudeness and disrespect when she and her fiance visited on the occasion of his 80th birthday. But then the fiancé's son, a 13-year-old boy by the name of Billy, spent some time at the cottage, and an unlikely friendship developed between him and Norman. They would go out fishing on the lake together in search of a massive trout that Norman had always dreamed of catching, but now feared that he would never be able to do before his death. Little by little, the oil of this friendship softened the hardness of Norman's heart. He became less and less preoccupied 
and the beautiful reconciliation with his daughter ensued. The surprising twist at the end of the movie is that Norman's anticipated death that had been hinted at throughout the movie doesn't actually happen. That remains an unsettled question as to when exactly that will occur. Instead, the golden leaves of the fall trees and the golden sunlight shimmering on golden pond suggest the anointing oil of surrender that had fallen on his life and had rekindled hope within him. His anxious waiting had been redeemed in a beautiful way through his openness to the surprising gifts of grace that had so unexpectedly drawn near. So friends, what are you waiting for? A partner? A pregnancy? A child? A grandchild? A reunion? A fresh start? Waiting can be very hard, especially when what you're waiting for seems desperately delayed. Maybe the anguished cry of your heart is, how long, O Lord? Maybe your waiting has become fraught with anxiety and even despair. Hear the good news. There's another part of you that is able to wait in a more trusting way. It's that part of you that has been anointed with the oil of surrender, the oil of acceptance, the, the oil of glad anticipation of whatever it is that God has in store. This is the oil that keeps the lamps of hope ablaze. And though the night of waiting may be long, the promise is certain that there will come a joyful cry. Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And with the lamp of hope ablaze, you will go in to share in the wedding banquet of God. Let's be quiet for just a moment. Amen. Friends, we are going to go now into a time of response to God's word, and this is how we are going to do so. In a moment, I'll invite the ushers to come and receive our offerings for the work of God as the choir lead us with the singing of a responsive song. And as the choir are singing, and then as Michael leads us on the piano, I'd like to invite you, if it would be helpful for you, to come forward to the front where a few of us will be waiting with oil to anoint you 
as a sign of the hope of God arising afresh within you, as a sign of the strength that you can find to persevere as you watch and wait for the sure coming of God into your life. And so if you would like that sign, if it would be helpful for you, then you are invited to come forward and receive the oil of anointing, to spend a moment kneeling at the rail if, if you wish, and then simply to return to your seats. And so I'd invite the ushers to come now and wait upon us for our offerings for the work of God as the choir lead us in song. Thank you.